0: I guess it's been a change in philosophy away from purchasing offsets to saying, well, let's take that money that we would have otherwise spent on that and supercharge our investment. So I
1: think you need to roll your sleeves up and start making a difference within your own business first. Build knowledge of what your business is doing. Build knowledge of what your current footprint is. And that will lead to how you can make changes and make a difference. Mm Morena
2: and welcome to the Wine Marlborough podcast. Whether you're curious about what makes a great wine or what's going on in the soil beneath the vines, come and explore the fascinating world of grape growing and winemaking in New Zealand's biggest wine growing region. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of River Sun Nursery. I'm your host, Sophie, editor of Wine Press Magazine. Wine Press Magazine and this podcast are produced by Wine Marlborough, an industry association working to grow, educate, protect and celebrate the region's wine growers. Today's podcast is on climate action in the Marlborough wine industry, which is an increasingly urgent issue. Before we crack into that, I'm joined by Wine Marlborough advocacy manager, Nikki Arma, and just get a bit of a catch up on what's happening in the industry. Morena, Nikki. Good
3: morning, Sophie. This is a busy time of year for the industry and for you, I expect. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like we finish up vintage and people think, wow, that was hectic. And maybe we are supposed to get a pause, but really we don't. Um, <laughs> so lots of busyness in the vineyard at the moment, lots of pruning going on and preparation for the next growing season. And within businesses as well, you're making those plans for supply chain, making those plans for what's happening in the market. So mm. um, it doesn't actually stop. So yeah, definitely a busy time, but nice to see some beautiful mobile weather again. So we're all hoping that the rain holds off and we're not having the, the soggy seasons we've had of, of the last couple of years. So yeah. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Indeed. Indeed. So I know that um, in the lead up to Vintage,
2: you are... A lot of your work is around um, the labour market and working with um, a group of stakeholders and ensuring there's enough labour. Mm. Is that true for the pruning season as well? Uh, Yeah,
3: 100%. So especially during COVID, there was a really strong focus on on how we were managing that. Um, And and it was very tight to get that pruning done in the time we had. Um, Mother Nature doesn't make any allowances for us, so we've got to do the best we can. But much to our relief, we've had a recent meeting of all the key stakeholders in that space. And most of Pruning is done by RSE staff coming over, largely from the islands and other countries. So um, we're looking good. We're um, ahead of schedule across the industry, which is great. Um, And nice to see some relief felt by other parts of the industry also in those businesses as well. So enough people, enough people with experience and things so far are are going well. The weather's holding out for them. So that's all adding to a much more rosy picture than what we've had in um, previous seasons recently. Brilliant. It's good to know. So uh, this month's podcast is on uh, climate
2: action in Marlborough vineyards. Uh, we're speaking to Michael Wentworth uh, from Yellins and uh, Belinda Jackson from Lawson's Dry Hills. And uh, as we were discussing before this, there's so many different ways people are approaching uh, climate change and climate action. It's a huge subject and something that's on a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. Is it, I think you're working with um, some circularity work, is that right?
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot of activity and discussion in the space right now. And it's interesting, you know, those two. P- t- two particular companies, we've got a very large company and one that's quite yeah. small. So great examples of how there is, you know, there's a need for everybody to contribute to the space and, and we're all learning. So the circular wine efforts we're doing are in conjunction with Marlborough District Council and their Smart and Connected program. Um, and what's been interesting to see there is that it's come from some very clear challenges the industry is having around its vintage waste, um, mm. which kicked off that conversation. But what is driving it forward is the desire of the people around the table to to have these big conversations, Mm. thinking about where we're going long term and trying to problem solve them together. There's a real sort of sigh of relief when people join together and and have have Mm. those discussions. So it's quite an exciting time, I think, for the industry.
2: Does it tend to be a few companies or a handful of companies that are driving Initiatives like this forward and then other people fall in later
3: on. And I guess are you finding that there
2: are more companies on the front foot with these environmental?
3: I feel at this time where this is such an important um, topic for people in terms of their own personal lives and mm. their children and their children's children and for business that is, you can't really wait anymore. So it's it's not good for people to be sitting back and seeing what others are doing. Um, and there's so much that can be done at, at relatively low cost and over time that um, it's not to your advantage to sit and wait to see what falls out. Mm. So to answer your question, it really is quite a diverse group um, and, and yes, we have some real obvious sort of leaders um, in business in Marlborough um, and and we've got two people on the podcast mm. um, leading the charge there but there's a lot of other people in the space and really interested in this space too. So definitely a diverse group around the table for sure. Mm. I was looking at some of the uh, people that are certified Carbon Zero or part of the
2: Toitu um, mm. certification scheme and it's not just the wineries that of course affect this. You've got the likes of Wine Works mm. that are uh, – uh Toy Two and um River Sun Nurseries who sponsor this podcast. Mm. They are also um they're aiming to be carbon neutral by twenty thirty and they've been part of Toy Two since twenty eighteen. You know, it's, uh, it's it's the
3: supporting agencies as well, isn't it? And that's where I think you get start making real um, steps forward. Yeah, and I think it's completely necessary because there's only so much we can do even if you're thinking about the the challenge of packaging. It's all well and good to think about what you can do on your vineyard or within your winery. But, but then what happens? Um, so thinking about the entire life cycle and we don't control that. These businesses mm-hmm. aren't in control of that. So... It is, I guess, to the benefit to have conversations together and, and maybe, maybe they join forces and, and go, well, this, these are the options that we'd like to explore with you. X packaging company. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, thinking about their overall supply chain. And that's something Michael actually touches on in mm. this interview because
2: he talks about how they really want so many wineries to get in and nice around the world because that's how you will, um, you get real change. Mm. So a little bit of background on, uh, the people that we are, um, have in the interview today. Michael is General Manager of Sustainability and Strategic Projects at Yeelands Wine Group. So it's one of uh, two New Zealand members of the International Wineries for Climate Action as well. And that group's dedicated to driving the global wine industry's response to climate change. Yellens was Two Carbon Zero certified from its start in 2008, which was a global first. And there had been wineries that were certified, but not right from scratch. And so that's 15 years of reducing emissions. And I find it quite interesting that people talk about low-hanging fruit. And after 15 years, that's got to start getting harder. But Michael talks about how there's still so many opportunities out there to reduce emissions. So that's mm. fantastic. Um The company's committed to becoming carbon positive by 2050 with the United Nations Race to Zero campaign,
3: which is um, all big, lofty ambitions,
2: and I think they're probably heading that way.
3: Yeah, it's a great, great part of the conversation to have, right? Like Mm. going from carbon zero to carbon positive, Mm. uh, and again, just another reason why people should be involved in in the conversations. So hopefully everyone's going to listen to this podcast and (laughs) pick up some of those (laughs) tips and tricks. And Belinda Jackson is the marketing and sales manager at Lawson's Dry Hills who speaks on the podcast today and shares their emissions journey, which they've been on since 2010. Really great perspective from Belinda who who brings a marketing lens and understanding um, of what the drivers are in the market for this space. Lawson's Dry Hills were the winner of the Marlborough Environment Awards in the wine industry c- category in 2021. Um, and that's, uh, an award that Wine Marlborough sponsors and we're re- really proud sponsors of that. So mm. to help sort of recognize people leading in this space, but also to help tell those stories. It's a really good vehicle for, for sharing the stories that we're doing in the industry and in Marlborough. Um, and one of the cool things that comes out of that is the field day, and that field day at Lawson Stray Hills was packed. Mm. It was so great to see and it was a cold day it was wet um and but but people packed in and they showed up and listened and it was really good to hear the story that uh, um the team at um at Lawson Stray Hills had been on in terms of right from the outset deciding that um maybe this was good for business but really it was about it being the right thing to do um, and then how could they as a relatively small um, business um, navigate that territory and they did that over uh, incrementally over time and so they shared all that insight and really lowered the bar I think for, for our industry members to consider what they could do themselves and mm. sharing the insights it was a great forum for that and and of course we're seeing how um um, uh, um the company's now being recognized for the good work they've done so while um they might have started from a position of being the nice guy and doing the right thing mm-hmm. they're actually um really benefiting from that in a business sense now with with the award and the recognition they've got coming through so yeah really interesting to hear from them in the podcast.
2: I think both of those companies are providing leadership in this space and it's it also reflects that collegiality that New Zealand's wine industries have because they are really keen to share all their knowledge. And that's, that's been typical of the wine industry.
3: Yeah. Uh, hasn't it? Yeah. For, for me personally, it was one of the draw cards for, for joining the industry and coming to Marlborough. And you, you see it so strongly coming through. Um, really whenever there's, um, something that has hit the industry quite hard, people come to the fore. But around these gnarly challenges we're facing, people are sharing, um, supporting each other. And it's, it's great to be part of it. It makes at least when you think about the, Big issue of of climate change. um, It's what we need to tackle. It makes Mm. it a little bit more optimistic that we we might get there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Help everybody lighten their footsteps. Well, I hope you enjoy this lesson. Morning, greetings, Belinda. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for coming along. Now, as you know, we like to begin this with fifteen words, and this month we're going to go with fifteen words about you that people might not know.
0: Michael? Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, This took me a while to think about actually, but um, probably something that most people won't know about me is that in my university degree, I actually majored in golf course design. So if um, anyone's planning on renovating their backyard or removing their vineyard, come and speak to me.
2: It occurs to me, actually, that this 15 words could be a bad idea because it may be that now we just have to spend the next half hour talking about golf course design, but instead, (laughs) Belinda, 15 words?
1: Um, Maybe that uh, in a previous life I was a wine buyer in the UK and I was sourcing um, over three-quarters of a million cases from all around the world. It was pretty wicked. Living in London? No, no, not London. I managed to avoid that. Um, I was actually based in the Midlands at that point. Um, in the delights of Burton-on-Trent where the proper Marmite comes from. <laughs> I learned something today. Oh,
2: there you go. Great. Okay, so um, can you tell us a little bit about Lawson's Dry Hills? What does your office look like when you're out and
1: about? Oh, my office is great. I feel very lucky that my office looks out onto our um, Gewurztraminer vineyard planted in 1981. Uh, the Lawson's brand was created in 92, 10 years later. Uh, Ross originally grew that fruit for Penfolds actually to go into a, a boxed white wine at the time. Um, and uh, we've just done our 32nd harvest as Lawson's Dry Hills, uh, small team, we work hard, sleeves up, get stuck in um, and uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoy what we do. That's pretty amazing time-wise, isn't it, when you think about
2: Marlborough's wine industry turning 50 this year
1: and Lawsons have been there for
2: such a, a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we're very proud of the fact that we're kind of uh, in that pioneering set, but we're certainly not without innovation and, and keeping up with the play and occasionally ahead of the game. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. Screw caps, maybe. Screw caps yeah. and,
2: and climate action. And really certainly, yeah. Certainly. More on that later. And uh, Michael, so the Tree Valley – we used to think about it, and not that long ago, as sheep and corn and those beautiful golden arid hills. And now it's really associated with wine for many people, and, and Yellen's is a big part of that. So tell us a bit about
0: that. Yeah, so we're based out at Seaview, and that's a pretty special place where we're basically uh, from the foothills of Seddon right through to the coast. So quite spectacular in terms of visually the rolling terrain. We've got the coast there. We've got Mount Tappy as well. So it's a pretty special place, and we believe it uh, produces some pretty special wines out of there as well. Mm.
2: So when Yellins was established in 2008, it was Two Carbon Zero certified from the beginning, wasn't it? Yes, it and, was. And that was a, a global first?
0: Um, first from inception. So there yep. are other wineries around that were toy certified, but we were the first from inception.
2: Mm. Can you tell us just actually explain what that means the Toy2?
0: So Toy2 is an independent verification for carbon footprint. It basically covers everything from, we call it grass to glass. So everything from production right through to the time the, um, the end product is recycled in market. So whether that's, um, the, the packaging, etc., So it's a third-party endorsement. It's an annual review of your carbon footprint. I think the most important thing, though, is that you have to demonstrate a reduction in your footprint over time. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that you just go out there and and purchase offsets for. You've got to demonstrate. You've got a robust plan in place to reduce your emissions going forward.
2: And does that get harder over time? I hear a lot of people in this climate action space talking about low-hanging fruit and how you should grab that first. But when you've been in it for 15 years... There can't be that much low-hanging fruit left.
0: I think there's a lot of opportunities. And the key thing, I think, is that it's a journey. Mm-hmm. We talk about don't let perfect get in the way of action. And so wherever you look, there's opportunities. As far as our footprint's concerned, 65% of it is made up of packaging and freight. And those are things that are really going to require some industry participation and collaboration to achieve. But if you look at inwardly, in terms of the vineyard and winery, we're talking thirty-five percent of our total footprint, right? So there's always opportunities, whether that's diesel, electricity. Anywhere you look, there's opportunities, right? Mm.
2: I mean, you've got you've got things like you burn the vine that energy, right? Yeah, yeah. Or so, energy,
0: yeah. So we use that in place of LPG. But gee, the scope of opportunity, uh, whether you look at solar generation, wind. Um, diesel reduction, mm. and and that's even before you start talking about insetting. So, mm. you know, your biodiversity on the vineyard or your planting and so forth. So I think there's just so much opportunity, but I think the key message is for us to be successful, we need to work with others and find partners to work with. And how do we engage people and how do we get them on their journey? So, um, you know, it's great to be here with Belinda today because, again, they're leaders in that space and um, – the more people we can encourage to get involved, the better.
1: Mm, Okay. Well, Linda, tell us a little bit about the Lawson's journey in this climate action space. Sure. Um, I think it was about 2010 when um, some pretty big decisions were taken about um, Lawson's Dry Hills and sustainability and and how we would move forward in that space. Um, And the decision was taken to actually adopt ISO 14001, so this is something that was particularly meaningful because it is a holistic approach to your sustainability and your, um, well, your environmental sustainability um, first and foremost. So it's actually literally, uh, you know, grape to glass and then actually beyond to to the port of shipment for us. Um, it covers every aspect of your business uh, because a lot of the time, you know, there's no point putting a lot of focus on one area to then let it down in another. So you need to have that consistency. Mm. Um, And the other thing that we particularly liked about it is it's continual improvement. So our independent certifications that we invested in separately uh, are an annual audit. Uh, So we then, uh, of the last year or so, because we also then gained ISO 14,064, which is the carbon zero, again from Toyota, as Michael mentioned, we've now invested in somebody actually having a role at the company uh under that sustainability umbrella so that we have somebody sort of permanently nice. doing the data, keeping us on track, pulling the meetings together and making sure that there's continual engagement between the heads of department and, and the team as to how we make decisions and what the consequences of those decisions are going to be Um and getting us really, you know, polished up and, and we're doing what we can when we can. But as Michael said, uh, there's no end to it, you know. Um and that's one of the inspirational aspects as well, I think you know you you have team ownership and you all pull to continually make improvement
2: yeah, I'm interested at that team uh, team ownership, so do you have buy in from all your employees, and does this make you a bit of a an employer of choice in this in this world where you know young people particularly really care about some of those things?
1: That's a great question. I'd say we definitely perform as a team across all bits of the business, but certainly with our sustainability. Uh, I, I, I would love to think also that a lot of these things are taken back home into the team's environments and their own communities because you want that ripple effect. Um, mm-hmm. But for us, it's certainly that all of our members have been together for for a long time. You know, we, we have very low staff turnover. There's only 18 of us. Um, but a good example probably of one of our team efforts was a big native planting exercise we did up our, at the Waihopai vineyard And we now actually have our own nursery growing natives, and we're going to be planting out at Blind River at our Blind River Vineyard um, coming up probably in the springtime. And we, you know, we even have a worm farm. We have, you know, we've got it all going on at every level. So it can be those little things, recycling your coffee pods, right the way through to the big stuff and how we manage, you know, the diesel and the freight and the packaging.
2: So can we talk now then about what some of those big items are that you can do, that a winery can do, for example, and you have done to reduce your emissions? And we'll talk about um, the tree planting and and potential to offset later on. But um,
1: what are some key examples? Um, Some key examples. Well, if we look at one of the areas as being waste, I guess To quote that one of low-hanging fruit, something people can do and make a difference straight away is by lowering the amount of stuff that goes to landfill. Um, And that was really quite straightforward, and it was basically a combination of two things. It was reviewing all of our decisions, our purchasing decisions, uh, with regards to waste. And it was also making sure that we had a really good recycling system that was really obvious and easy for people to come and put the right stuff in the right bin um, and be able to, to do the right thing by, mm. by that waste. Um, and that's made a huge difference. And it's something terribly easy that everyone can do. Mm. And our waste to landfill has dropped absolutely enormously. I mean, I don't have numbers to hand right this minute, but really, um, it's been a huge difference. So waste was an easier one to, to jump into like that. I guess diesel is obviously a big one, you know, when you have lots of vineyards and you have tractors and we drive cars and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we invested in a new tractor, which is twenty five percent less emissions it 's also way more technologically advanced. We do much le- uh, fewer passes through the vineyard now because we 've got a tractor that can actually do several things it 's a multitasking tractor mm-hmm. so you know we 've got a double headed trimmer um, we 've got uh, we can do undervine weeding at the same time as we 're mowing things like that that make a big difference mm-hmm. too um, and, and plenty more aside you know.
4: We've just celebrated 40 years of River Sun and we had an industry workshop looking back over the last 40 years of the industry and looking at the next 40. And, you know, I think we all know we live in incredibly challenging times and that can be daunting, you know, whether that's climate change, uh, geopolitical uncertainty, environmental degradation, um, economic uncertainty. There's a lot of challenges out there and I think we all know that they are growing I'm an optimist by nature, and, you know, they say a pessimist sees the problem and an opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in the problem, and what excites me is um, I see huge opportunities for New Zealand wine industry, New Zealand horticulture industry, New Zealand agribusiness, in adapting um, to to all these challenges. I think we're really well placed as a nation, um, and... Sitting within that, within Riversun, like you know, we see enormous opportunities to help people navigate all those changes. So I'm Jeff Thorpe. I'm the um, the founder and managing director of Riversun Nursery up in Sunny Gisborne.
2: And Michael, I know that you have a, a really large solar array on on your roof, and also solar as well. And those, you know, we talked about the vine clippings and those other efficiencies. But you've already um, spoken about the transportation and the packaging being the big uh, emissions cost for you. So what have you been able to do in that area?
0: Yeah, so for us, it's primarily around engagement. Um, And I I probably spend the majority of my time now in terms of trying to work with industry around how we can develop an industry response. So working with partners both here and offshore to drive some change. Because if you think about it, Uh, ourselves individually aren't going to be able to influence, you know, the likes of our packaging suppliers in any significant way. So particularly around lightweighting bottles and things like that, that's going to require some industry pressure to bring about some change.
2: So you've already moved to lightweight bottles and yet there's further to go
0: is what you're saying. Absolutely. And then there's um, options around looking at alternative packaging options as well, right? Mm. So, you know, Particularly in Europe, there's a lot of different options there, whether it be pouches, Tetra Pak, etc. Clearly, there's a consumer piece there as well mm. in terms of acceptance, but we've got to be looking at alternatives to glass.
2: I see New Zealand has its gin bottled and cardboard. Mm. Um, and so, that international space, um, you're now a member of the International Wineries for Climate Action. One of two New Zealand companies, wine companies, I think. So has that really changed your outlook on it?
0: Yeah, and I would encourage anyone that's interested in that space to have a look at the IWCA. Um, the, The key thing that we get out of the IWCA is that you've got 45 wineries sitting in a room from all over the world that are industry leaders, that have all gone through similar challenges to what you're going through. So the value that we see in that is there's this whole exchange of information, ideas in terms of what's happening, what people have done, the solutions that they've come up with. And so there's such rich information exchange. And uh, with that, obviously, comes knowledge build and and opportunities to implement things within your own operations.
1: Mm.
2: So another side, of course, of... um Climate action is, you know, obviously reducing emissions is the big one. And then there is the opportunity to offset. Um, Under IWCA, you can't offset can you, but you can inset. So can you tell us about your million trees?
0: So interesting. Um, We've actually, so up until vintage 2023, we've been two Carbon Zero certified. So what that means is that you measure your emissions each year and you offset the unavoidable emissions. Um, by purchasing carbon credits. So we've actually made the change this year to move away from carbon zero. And, um, we've taken the money that we would have otherwise spent on carbon credits and basically supercharging our initiatives internally. So by that, um, I guess the, the ultimate changes that we're taking responsibility for it and and basically investing heavily behind initiatives that we think will bring about fast change and and ultimately hit our twenty thirty and twenty fifty ambitions a lot quicker. So slight change in terms of where we're heading. Um largely that's tree planting, but you don't get a lot of benefit for that until the trees have reached two meters or, or essentially five years. So it's kind of an investment in the future. Um A lot of the work that we're doing is about increasing the carbon in the soil. Mm -hmm. So even over a relatively short period of time, three years, we've increased the carbon in our soil by about 15%. Um, So the benefit of that is A, you're sequestering carbon, um, but also you're increasing water holding capacity. And of course, being out on the East Coast, Mm. we're naturally drier that's going to be a big um, benefit for us going forward. So there's a whole bunch of things, but I guess it's been a change in philosophy away from purchasing offsets to saying, well, let's take that money that we would have otherwise spent on that and supercharge our investment. So a lot of the work that we're doing is around inter-row cropping, um, continuing the composting work that we're doing, but ultimately
1: putting trees in the ground.
2: Mm. Great. And you've got a tree planting Scheme keeping as well.
1: We have um, ours was really restoring a piece of wetland that had been there but um, uh, just needed some work. So we did that and we restored that wetland. Um, we still at this stage, you know, we're very much about uh, the, you know the carbon credits and and that is that is our plan currently. Uh, we're not probably going to be able to be in a situation like Elands to do that, but you know, big ups to you guys for for taking that that initiative. It's also
2: about showing the various different models that people can do. I mean, as you say, not everyone can follow that Yelin's example, but um, you both uh, both companies are providing an example, aren't they? And I'm interested to know whether you get people coming to you and wanting to know about how they can do it, because I think it's very daunting for companies; they don't really know where to start.
1: It is daunting. Um I think probably a good example of that was when we received the uh, award from the Cawthron. Um, Institute in 2021 for the wine industry. We were asked to put on a field day, which I think everybody does who wins an award through there. Um, and we did a field day and we had, um, I think it was well over 100 people that came. But um, Bev Dahl, who the coordinator wrote and said, you know, how great it was, but that the turnout of wineries was extraordinary and that they'd just never had that kind of mm. response before. And every time I've been asked to speak or do something somewhere, there's been real genuine interest, and it is about talking about some of that daunting stuff, but breaking it down and making people feel that they can make a difference. Um, it's really hard to take something enormous and not feel daunted. So it's about those, you know, breaking off those bite-sized pieces, and there's plenty of that that can be done. And I think that while carbon credits and sequestration is is obviously vital for people to get to a net carbon zero perspective, it's actually, that's kind of worrying about something before you need to. I think you need to roll your sleeves up and start making a difference within your own business first, which can be as simple as start recording invoices for power. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things, you can't make change until you know where you are now. So the best thing what people can do is, sure, go ahead with a few things like recycling and stuff, making that more formal, but actually build knowledge of what your business is doing, build knowledge of what your current footprint is, and that will lead to how you can make changes and make a difference.
2: Mm. And will these global conversations <clears throat> start making these changes happen anyway because transport operators or packaging companies will change the way they're doing?
0: That? Yeah, and, and I think it's not necessarily global as well. Like There's groups here within Marlborough, like the Climate um, Action Marlborough mm. group, and, again, I'd encourage people to get around the table there because there's so many people willing to share their information and it's easy to get involved locally. doesn't matter where you are on your journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you're a little bit more mature in your approach, just get involved. There's so many people there willing to help. And, again, it's going to take collective action for us to address this and you know, the opportunity to work with Belinda and other companies across the industry Um Fantastic. Mm. We need we need need to be doing more of it. It's not like a competitive advantage thing. It's a table stake thing mm. these days. And
2: there are obvious reasons to um, to address this issue, such as the climate crisis. Mm. But it, um, I'm interested, Belinda, with your sales, marketing, and sales hat on, about how important these actions are in terms of the consumer
1: and mm. and the markets, you know, supermarkets, for example. Absolutely. Uh They're crucial. I could talk about this for ages, so rein me in if I get too carried away. Um one more of the-
2: than 15 words.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. One of the big concerns out there to the point where new laws are now being drafted is the extent of greenwashing. Um, and this is a real issue because you have a lot of consumers out there who have a um desire to make more sustainably conscious purchasing decisions. Now, often we know that this is, doesn't actually come to reality once they get to the point of purchase because there's an awful lot of noise and distraction in the in-between. So we really want to make sure that we help them with products actually saying why this should be purchased, how this fulfills their almost subliminal but but determined um, sustainable purchasing. Uh, we're glad, glad to see that uh, the EU are drafting a law now that's going to prevent things like eco-friendly and green and and leaves being added to labels on stickers and all these kind of really mm. dodgy things because the consumer is willing to pay more money to help deliver a better outcome by purchasing those supposedly green or sustainable products but none of those have integrity so a big key part for us has been getting those independent certifications the 14001 and the 14064 because they are absolute assurance both to the consumer but also to any other regulatory body. So when you're dealing in the UK or the EU or pretty much any country, but those guys always seem to be pretty uh, full-on when it comes to regulations, um, those things are there for them to see. We don't have to hesitate. We don't have to worry about proving it. It's it's actually right there right now, whether we've got it on the labels of our wine or whether they can scan a QR code and go straight to our certifications on our website um, plus our sustainability policy uh, it's, it's all about making people feel confident and all of our stakeholders feel confident in the, how we have been able to enhance our reputation as not only a quality wine supplier, but a very mindful quality wine supplier who is responsible and willing to take responsibility and accountability for their environmental sustainability. And, and that's going to flow right the way through to, to your gatekeepers, for want of a better expression, right the way through to the consumer. I've just done a couple of months away, and some markets I was in have are not as concerned as others when it comes to sustainability. But what every single one of them said is, this is only going to be more and more important. This is going to grow, you know, absolutely as being a a serious item of concern right the way through. Mm-hmm.
2: And as you say, the EU Green Deal is going to change the.
1: force people to change behaviours. Well, it is, and it's going to knock out the people who are greenwashing who have nothing to substantiate it with Mm. because it's not fair on those of us as well. I mean, you know, if I want to sulk for a minute, it's not fair on those (laughs) of us who who do put in huge effort and resource to do the right thing and to prove it, uh, to then have, you know, some companies who maybe have deeper marketing pockets to then slather their products. And it's not just wine, of course. It's, uh, you know, it could be anything. Um, the ubiquitous dolphin. Oh, the dolphin, yeah. <laughs> no, no dolphins were harmed in the making of this wine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, brilliant. And how about um yearlands? I mean, you've had a sustainable kind of ethos for a long time. Are you seeing the market um more urgently demand that?
0: Yeah, very much so. More from probably the retailers than than the consumers. I think the challenge that we have with consumers or shoppers is how do you articulate sustainability to them in a meaningful way so that you're adding value? Because quite often when you talk to consumers and you talk to them about footprints and so forth, it just goes over the top of them. The the whole global change um, is is just too big a deal and they don't feel like contributed in any, any sort of meaningful way. So it's kind of finding that story that you have that is unique to yourself but gets the cut through. Mm -hmm. We talk about um, talking to consumers' hearts as well as their heads, and that's the key thing. And I think as part of our journey, the learnings, we used to talk a lot about um, our sustainability initiatives and our reduction in footprint, et cetera, whereas in terms of talking to the consumer, they're not that interested in that. But if you can find a way to connect around what you're doing with nature or the environment and that sort of thing, that's your, you your go-to. Need
2: butterfly family. Yes. It's
0: yeah. not something yeah. everyone's got, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and of course, butterflies don't play a significant role in terms of um, viticulture, but they do in terms of the wider e- ecosystem, right? Yeah. But, um So again, you've got to find those stories that connect with the heart as much as the head. And uh, I think... Where we have accreditations and so forth, that gets us our product on the shelf in terms of, you know, with the multiples or, or or the retailers, et cetera, because it aligns typically with their, you know, their, their direction, right? Yeah. Um, the cut through to the consumer is key.
1: One of the nice things we've done here in New Zealand is that uh, I designed some um, seed packets. Uh, so we've got lots of wildflower seeds in the packets, but then I wrote our story, our sustainability story on there. Um, and then we've been handing those out. So people who come to the cellar door or if somebody orders online, they get a couple of packets in their case. So that's that element of surprise and delight, but also a great way to communicate your story. And they end up with a lovely garden of wildflowers. And uh, we've had some photographs sent back to us from people who have actually grown the flowers and sent them back. And and it's just that that word delight, you know, and I've been absolutely blown away by how... Much these these wildflower seeds have resonated with people, so that's been a really nice, inexpensive way of communicating our story, but giving something to to people in return. Yeah, it's been fun.
2: So I I love that because you know the um, carbon accounting—it's really about measuring and numbers. It's quite dry, isn't it? Uh, And then, but you wrap it up in this lovely ribbon of a story that that attracts people and, and engages people with it. So beautiful so um new zealand is is quite remote and 90 percent of our wine is exported more than two billion dollars now i think um so shipping does seem like quite a big challenge if if that is a disadvantage of being so remote are there any advantages to being this little country at the bottom of the world um, when it comes to becoming carbon zero or climate positive
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, you've got to start with a quality product, right? And it, it doesn't matter how you produce the wine if you don't have a quality product to start off with, right? So we're just blessed here in terms of the environment. I guess that's even more important for us in terms of the unique wine styles that we produce and with climate change coming. So all the more important for us to do something about it, right? Um, I think there's some some developments... Uh, Talking specifically around the transport piece that are exciting and going to open up some opportunities, you know, the development of green corridors and and shipping and so forth that came out of, I think it was COP25, it might have been COP26, around some legislation um, that will bring that sort of activity forward. I think there's many advantages of of living here in New Zealand, clearly, in terms of the reputation that we have as a starting point. Um, But again, you know, it all comes back to the quality of wine you produce and we're blessed here, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, totally and
1: lovely. it's
2: a country known for innovation, like
1: screw caps, isn't it, honey? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Love me a screw cap. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I think to further Michael's point, you know, when the Food Miles Challenge came up a while ago, a few years back, and people were saying, God, why on earth do we ship wine all the way from the bottom of the world when we should potentially be buying it more locally, um, is to remember that we need to look at it in the context of a life cycle analysis. So it's not just shipping uh, as a solo aspect it 's actually what is the sustainable nature uh, the emissions, etc, from a holistic point of view of wine production in New Zealand. So our production here is far more sustainable than production in a number of other countries, and we know that through the emissions. Uh, we also know that the electricity and power that we have here something like about 80% of it is from renewable sources rather than actual, if you like, from, from mm. non-renewable sources. And that's compared to about 20%, 25% in markets such as Europe. So this is why the life cycle analysis is so important because you're actually looking at your inputs to that wine production, which is coming at a far greater rate of sustainability than those countries which we are actually shipping to, even though they are wine producer countries. I did want to ask earlier, and it is
2: related to the transportation because the packaging, you know, it's not just the uh the environmental cost of creating the packaging, but of course it's it's moving it. What is the consequence of reducing um from a standard bottle to a lightweight bottle? Are there some numbers around that?
0: Um not that I've specifically got here, but uh again, glass is a heavily intensive um in energy intensive process to produce. Fortunately here in New Zealand, you know, we can get as high as sort of three quarters percent in terms of recycled content, which improves things. But there is massive gains to be made specifically in glass. Um, just picking up on Belinda's point earlier, um, you know, if twenty percent of your footprint is is freight, then about thirty-five percent is packaging and the highest proportion of that is glass. So mm. that makes sense that that's the first thing that we look to tackle. And um, given the energy used and consumed when producing glass, it makes sense. Let's look, let's use less and let's look for alternatives as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think um, for us, not only the weight of glass, but the traditional sticking of a round thing into a square hole uh, is always going to be inefficient, mm, yes. you know, from a shipping yeah. perspective. Uh, we're really interested in a bottle that's actually quite flat. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a recycled PET. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it can't be, you know, there's no bottling using that yet in New Zealand, but we're working on a couple of ideas. And, uh, you know, it's not like we're going to suddenly change everything overnight with with our brands. But uh, we certainly believe we've got an opportunity to look at, those options, uh, absolutely. And I do think that one of the things I remember sticking in my mind about this particular recycled PET with its shape meant that you could actually get 90% more on a pallet. Mm. I mean, even that alone, uh, you know, and this is a bottle that weighs 60 grams as opposed to what, 310 or 312 or whatever a lightweight glass bottle is. So going to be interesting
2: and people talk about consumer resistance but we've uh, intimated a few times the screw cap initiative that lawson's was a big part of and there was meant to be resistance to that wasn't there it was meant to be oh. um consumers refusing to buy it and oh, yet absolutely.
1: it's uh, everywhere it, it's everywhere in fact i was reading an article this week that had me bristling because it was somebody was writing about cork being the you know the chosen uh super uh, superior closure for wine but you know the years of putting a bit of tree bark in the end of your bottle to stop the wine falling out really,
2: mm.
1: really, you know, for the most part, is over. Because whilst people will talk about the sustainability of cork, and we can have that debate versus you know aluminium, infinitely sustainable mm. you know product. Um, how much uh, spoilage are we supposed to accept as an industry in order to gain you know the the feel good factor of of sustainability? There has to be a balance. There's no doubt that everything that we do, we need to make sure that, as Michael said earlier, our unique proposition, the quality of our wines from New Zealand, this is what we have to we have to nurture, we have to enhance, we have to respect, and we have to do all that whilst minimising our, our footprint. Um, for us, that meant screw caps because we are able to deliver our wine in perfect condition every single time. Um, and it's been a part of our journey, and certainly, yes, an an innovative part. We we don't shy away from anything like that, but, you know, we do want to focus on quality wine and doing the best we can from an environmental perspective. And consumers proved adaptable. Oh, absolutely they do, and now they they, – yeah, and they don't now need to go and look for this tool in Mm -hmm. order to open this bottle of wine. I mean, Mm -hmm. how crazy is it? You have to actually go and find another instrument in order to open this bottle.
2: Great. Well, well done to both your companies for being – innovative and taking a front foot in this. I understand you guys actually have worked together because that's the other <laughs> thing about New Zealand is the classic one step of separation. And before oh, yes. we came in, it turns out that you've worked together in the past.
0: Yeah, we're not going to date ourselves, are we, Belinda, by right. talking about how long that was ago. But Gosh. Belinda was the head wine buyer at Liquorland or, or New Zealand Liquor at the time. And I was one of the reps for Montana, trying to sell my French wine into Belinda at the time, who had about 20,000 years more experience in that space than I did.
1: Small world. Yeah, the small world, no, it was great. I remember those days fondly.
0: We've since come to our senses and obviously relocated to Marlborough and uh, started afresh. Brilliant.
2: Now, um, inspiration for my weekend, a food and wine match, please.
1: Oh, cripes. Okay. Uh, what sort of food do you like? Well, give me a clue. What's sort of something you really enjoy? Let's say uh Mediterranean. Mediterranean, yeah. oh, that's a goodie. That's my favourite too. Um, I'm not very good at sticking to one wine type, uh, and I have often hear people say, oh, you know, I drink Pinot Gris, and then it's kind of like a full stop. I, I drink Chardonnay and there's a full stop. And then somebody else says, oh, I only drink. And I think, wow, that sounds like my average Friday night, you know. I mean, I might start with a glass of something like a Riesling because it kind of makes your eyes shine at the end of a long week, you know, it's a real pick-me-up. Uh, and then if I'm cooking, say, something Mediterranean, say a risotto, so we might have a really lovely – creamy risotto maybe with a few herbs or a bit of lemon peel something nice and simple lemon zest I should say not peel um then I might have a really nice oak chardonnay with that uh I think that would actually yeah now I'm thinking about it I think that yeah that could be on my to-do list this weekend I could come around you could come around (laughs) (laughs) that sounds delightful
2: Michael, I don't
0: know how I compete with that. Yeah, that's the time, I'm isn't it? probably at the other end of the extreme in terms of I either start off with a Riesling or a Chardonnay, and then I try and make my food work around that. So, uh-huh. so yeah, usually it starts with I'm going to say a glass of something, but a you know, fruit typically fruit. yeah, yeah, and typically evolves from there. So anything Chardonnay or Riesling, I'm I'm right into. Brunette? no food, no, no food. food. <laughs>
2: great thanks
0: very much for coming in and uh,
2: enjoy your day thanks for the opportunity that was Belinda Jackson and Michael Wentworth coming in and talking about their climate action journeys big thank you to them for their time I know that they are as everybody else in the wine industry is very busy at the moment thanks also to Nikki Arma for coming in and shedding some light on what my Marlborough is doing You're welcome. Uh, This podcast was made uh, possible by Wine Marlborough and River Sun Nurseries. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Next time, we'll be speaking to one of the pioneers of Marlborough's wine industry as we look at 50 years of wine in the region. See you then.